The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Ecclesia, it is such a joy to be with you again this morning as we gather, as we sing, as we worship. In this particular season of masks and shields, which are so needed, I'm reminded of this verse from Psalms 28. And it says, For the Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts, I am helped, my heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to Him. The Lord is the strength of His people. So this morning, I invite you to come together to do that exchange as we receive that protection, that shield, that love from God that we give in exchange, our worship, our song, and our praise. And in that, we become the strength of the Lord for other people. God bless you.
see nothing let my eyes see nothing but your glory my lord let my eyes see nothing let my eyes see nothing but your glory my lord let this heart not wander let this heart not wander from your mercy my lord let this heart not wander let this heart not wander from your mercy You give love. 
will shout your praise Our hearts will cry These bones will sing And great are you, Lord And all the earth will shout your praise Our hearts will cry These bones will sing Hey friends, uh, my name is Edward Sanchez. Um, stepping in this week, joining you for the offertory prayer. I'm usually on the other side of the camera, but it's my privilege to lead this prayer with you today. So please say this prayer along with me. Heavenly Father, merciful and gracious, we come before you with open hands, joyfully and in gratitude for all you provide. Accept this offering to the work of your kingdom near and far, present and future, for the healing of all nations. Our time, talents, and treasure we give to you to build and to do with us as you will, that through these humble gifts, we would witness transformation beyond any we could expect or imagine. We are yours in all that we do. May you be glorified. In the name of the Almighty Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, hello, Ecclesia family. So good to be with you today, wherever you are. I hope you feel God's love and presence in your life. And I hope these songs and prayers um, enrich your life today as well. If we haven't met in person, my name is Wayne Brown. I get to be one of the campus pastors here at Ecclesia, and I've got a few updates for you, some things that you will not want to miss. 
And first, uh, I just want to name the fact that we were so blessed to have our dear brother and friend Aaron Nyquist lead us through some uh, liturgy at our Midweek Vespers this past weekend. If you haven't been a part of Midweek Vespers, you should make it a part of your rhythm. You can go to our website and sign up there. Uh, but Aaron, thanks so much for leading us this past weekend. It was a gift. And a few things I want to let you know that are coming up. One is this Saturday over at our West Side campus, we're doing a contemplative experience that we're calling Sacred Prayer Encounter. It's a time to get out, come with your family, come by yourself, uh, to be able to use the amazing green space that we have over at the West Side campus and to really engage in some uh, meaningful spiritual disciplines. You'll be able to take communion together to sing some songs outside, uh, as well as view the the beautiful outdoor space we have a labyrinth set up there's also some artwork where you can have some time to view that art and consider what is God saying to us in all of this you won't want to miss that it's from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. again at the West Side campus this Saturday November 7th you can sign up for that uh, just go to our website uh, and you can find the link there on the home page Next, want to make sure you know to save the date, and that's November 21st. That's when we're planning to do our next outdoor even song at 1100 Elder. This is a fantastic time for us to worship together uh, outdoor in really great weather. Uh, we love sharing communion there, and it's a good chance to just be in a safe space outdoors um, and see each other and, and to do those things together. You can sign up again at our website. You can find that there. You want to save the date. You don't want to miss it. And then lastly, on Saturday, November 15th at 1 p.m., we're pulling together a space for specifically our small group leaders, as well as anyone who's interested in leading a small group. We value small groups so much because they allow us the space to practice our rhythms, specifically rhythms like uh, be real, be kind, be hospitable. Uh, they allow us that space to practice that in community and to get to know others in a meaningful way. And doing small groups in this season is a little strange. So what we want to do is pull together uh, our small group leaders as well as anyone who wants to or thinks maybe, maybe, maybe I would like to do that uh, to offer some insights um, in how that actually can look. So if you're interested in that, uh, whether you are hoping to lead a small group one day or if you are leading a small group and are just wanting to um, connect with others, find some encouragement and maybe some ideas, uh, please join us on Saturday, November 15th at 1 p.m. And you can find the link for that right down below. Uh, we'll post that in the chat as well so that you can uh, find that there. And so Ecclesia, I just hope that you take a moment to pause, take in a deep breath. We're so grateful that our dear brother, Sean Palmer, has a message for us from God's word uh, that he's gonna share. And my hope and prayer for you today is that these aren't just stories or words from long ago, but it's God's voice speaking into you through Sean. Um, so may you hear and receive God's voice speaking in the next few moments. Ecclesia, we love you. Can't wait to see you in person. God bless. Hey, Ecclesia. I wanna show you uh, one of the most useful things in my life, this, this is my planner. And, and I know that during COVID and quarantine, a lot of people are like, why do you need a planner? Who's using a planner? One of the jokes that people tell a lot is the uselessness of a 2020 planner and how no one's gonna buy a planner for 2021. But, but this, is, this is my baby. I live out of this thing. And, and one night I posted a picture 
of our family meeting. So every Sunday night, our family gathers around the kitchen table and we have family meeting and we go over the plan for the whole week. And I posted this picture because our girls bullet journal and Rochelle has her own planner and I have mine. It's a whole little scene. And people said, why are you doing that? Like, why don't you just keep a digital calendar? Well, I do keep a digital calendar because there are other people in other places who have to keep up with where I am and where I'm gonna be. But my planner does a lot more than that. Like we track um, our meals for the week. We sit down on Sunday night and I work through what worked well last week, what I'm planning to do differently this week. We plan things like what the workout schedule is gonna be, um, what the meals are gonna be. We look at what each day, the big task of every day we look at our yearly goals, our seven to 10 yearly goals per person, and we track where we are in those goals. Like we do all of that stuff, all of that mapping out. And, and you just can't do that just on a digital calendar. And I know that's, that's not for everybody. It works for us, probably because it works so well for me. Like I'm just wired that way. I'm a person who is always thinking about what the plan is, what tomorrow holds. And it's dawned on me because I get asked by so many people about how we plan, how our family structures things, that not everybody thinks that way. Not everybody is thinking about tomorrow, today. I mean, outside of questions related to life and ministry and how to live well and love God, the thing that I'm asked about most often from people is about my planning system. And I love it so much because our family really does believe that clarity is the antidote to anxiety. And the more clear we all can be about what we're doing what the expectations are, who's taking care of what, the less anxiety we have and the more enjoyment we have. And that's just the way that I'm wired because someone taught me when I was very young that tomorrow is coming, that it's inevitable. They taught me that I would enjoy tomorrow more if I plan for tomorrow, today, and it strikes me that a lot of people, a lot of people, maybe, maybe you sometimes, I know I fall into this sometimes, that it's easy to behave like tomorrow is never going to happen. And I know that it's easy to behave that way because I've been to funerals. You've been to these funerals, right? And people say something at every funeral, regardless of what religion they are, what they believe, what their politics are. At every funeral, somebody will say, they will look at the deceased and they'll say, he, she, well, they are in a better place. And I just want to ask, like, do they want to be? Like, did their life add up, stack up? to the kind of life that you would live if you were expecting a better place? Is that what the goal was? Because the reality that none of us can avoid is that if you want to be somewhere tomorrow, 
that is shaped by what you do today. And it strikes me that the world, our world, is living on the fumes of a Christian tradition called hope. And maybe it's COVID and quarantine and people wanting things to go back to the way they used to be, that lots of people are talking to me about hope and living in hope. Even in the midst of a really tense election season, what every politician is selling us is hope that things will be better sometime in the future, in two weeks, in three weeks, in a year, that we're all living on the fumes of hope. Everything that most people believe about a better life for themselves finds its way somewhere, slithers back somehow to the idea of Christian hope. And I've been thinking about hope for a while now. And this upcoming Advent, when we release our Advent podcast, we're going to focus on hope. And in the middle of a really disorienting time, I know a lot of people want to feel hopeful, but so often what people mean, maybe what we mean when we say hope is just human optimism. And Christian hope is really different. Our family meeting, when we sit around, it's really not about calendars. It's about us being intentional about answering the three most important questions that you'll ever have to answer. Where did we come from? What are we here for? And where are we going? With my life, where am I going? What's the meaning of all of this? So in, in 2016, New Scientist magazine asked a really standard question, a question that you've asked, that I've asked, that everybody's asked from time to time. And it was, what is the meaning of life? But they wanted to get to that answer to a philosophical question through science. And so they did all of this data, they did all of these surveys, they asked all of these questions. And the author wrote this at the end from a purely scientific point of view. He says, what's the meaning of life? It has none. Your life may feel like a big deal to you, but it's actually a random blip of matter and energy in an uncaring and impersonal universe. When it ends, a few people will remember you for a while, but they will die too. Even if you make the history books, your contribution will soon be forgotten. Humans will go extinct. Earth and the sun will be destroyed. Eventually, the universe itself will end. Against this appalling reality, how can a human life have any real meaning? Life has no real meaning. In truth, is the fastest growing religion in America.
most of us, most of the people who want to embrace a purely human driven world cannot avoid that conclusion that life has no real meaning. So years ago, a philosopher named Peter Kraft was writing about the meaning of life. And he tells a story of a mother and a son, the son who lost his seven-year-old cousin. And he asked his mom, "Um, what happened to my cousin now that he's dead? And she wanted to be honest with him about what she believed, about the way she saw the world. And she said, your cousin has gone back to the earth from which we all come. Death is a natural part of the life cycle. And when you see the earth put forth flowers next spring, you can know that that is your cousin's life that is fertilizing the flowers. And the little boy screams at his mother. He says, I don't want him to be fertilizer. I want my cousin back. And I think the reason is because the Ecclesiastes writer was right when he says that God has written eternity in our hearts. That from the moment you were born, that you and I both had this ache within us for eternity, this longing to be brought into the fullness of who we were created to be, that we are going someplace. And the overwhelming witness of scripture is that yes, we are going someplace, but that someplace, knowing that we're going someplace, that something's happening, that, that um, there is a telos, it's the word that we get the word telescope from, that there is an ultimate end, something that look at that is beyond us, that that informs how we are and who we are today. As a matter of fact, if you use one of those Bible apps and you were to look up the phrase, heaven and hell. Do you know how many times, if you just look up that phrase together, how many times that would come up? Zero. But if you were to use the same app and look up the phrase heaven and earth, it would occur over 150 times. And this is what the scriptures are trying to say. The idea that you were made for something more, that there is more, that you are headed someplace, that that affects today. And if you want to be the kind of person who has an active, engaged relationship with God, you will live today in light of there being a tomorrow and that that tomorrow is a better tomorrow. And this mom sat down with her son and she said that death is a normal part of life. And Kreft says telling someone that death is a normal part of life is like telling a quadriplegic that paralysis is a part of exercise. It's not death is not normal. Death is not the way that God created the world. And we have gotten so accustomed to certain things being normal that are not normal. Death is not normal. Partisanship is not normal. Greed is not normal. Selfishness is not normal. Normal is supposed to be no sickness, no crime, no racism, no sexism. That's that's what's supposed to be normal. 
And Christians, Christian hope is to live in a way that we reject everything that is not normal. The way the world is, is not normal. And because God is bringing us into a new way of being, a new kind of life, that is hope. And we live today in the fullness of that life, wherever we are. And what that means is when you wake up tomorrow, as you live the rest of your day, that the call of the Christian life, the faithful life, is to speak and act and do today as if you were in heaven today, to reject what is not normal. And I love the way that Paul talks about this in Colossians 1. He says, as always, we have been praying for you, thanking God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the anointed. Ever since we heard of your faith in Jesus, the anointed, and your love for the holy ones, a faith and love that emerges from the hope you have heard about in the word of truth, the gospel, the very hope that awaits you in heaven. So Paul says like there is a hope that awaits us in heaven. And this is the very gospel that you heard about. But then he says this, the same gospel that was brought to you is growing and bearing fruit all over the world, just as it has been growing among you since the day you heard it and took in the truth of God's grace from our beloved servant Epaphras. He was the one who told us how you demonstrate your love in the power of the spirit. Since the day we got this good news about you, we have not stopped praying for you. So Paul is saying this, there is a hope that awaits you. But because of that hope, you bear fruit today because you know that tomorrow is coming, that God has secured your future, that affects what you do today. And so I think just a few things about Christian hope. And the first thing that Christian hope does is hope, hope lets us line up. It, it helps us get life right that there is a life to come. And, and anthropologists throughout the centuries have never found a civilization that didn't have some sort of view, some sort of idea of an afterlife. And whatever it is your view of the afterlife is, however deeply you hold that, that will determine how you function today. And what God is trying to push us toward, what Paul is trying to say, like the work for the work for Jesus was in securing your future. The work for you is in today to live today, knowing that tomorrow is taken care of. So whatever it was that God created you to do, whatever idea God had when he created you today is the day to do that thing. One of my favorite authors, is a guy named Stephen Pressfield. He wrote an incredible book about writing called The War of Art. And he talks about all sorts of artistic expression. And he says, no one says, 
I'm never going to write my symphony. What we say is, I'm going to start it later. And Christian hope is about you and I getting engaged in God's calling on our lives today. Second, Christian hope helps us chill out. I got to be honest with you. I've been on social media. I've been on some of y'all's social media. People who walk in the light really need to lighten up. So in graduate school, um, I got a B in a class called Issues in Hermeneutics. And it was the only B that I got in all of graduate school. And it's because the professor gave me an 85 for class participation, which is, I think we know, a joke of a grade anyway. Class participation, I paid, I showed up, I turned in the work, participated. So I sent him an email and I got a B in this class because I got a 91.4. If I'd gotten a 91.5, it would have been a 92 and been an A. And so I said, I really think you missed this. You should change this grade. And he asked, he said, do you know, do you think in 50 years, this 10th of a point is going to matter? And like what he was trying to get me to see is that not everything matters all that much. Matter of fact, there are very few things that matter all that much. And you have to get those things right. You have to do those things well. But so many of the things that get us all twisted and tangled up, so many things that we're anxious about, so many things that we're worried about really aren't that big of a deal. And in 25 or 50 or 75 years, they're not going to matter. And would this tenth of a point matter to me in 50 years? Probably not. So I told him, probably not, but it's going to matter even less to you, so give me the tenth of a point. And third, Christian hope helps us hang on. There is a promise that God is up to something in the world. And even when it doesn't feel like that, when it doesn't feel tangible, when we can't see it, it's still there. And I don't know about you, but in the moments when I feel the most dejected, the most befuddled, the most depressed, confused, I recall this simple statement from the Apostle Paul that in Christ Jesus, all of God's promises are answered yes. And so Ecclesia, if I could leave you with one word, it would be that in distressing and disorienting times, that you and I would be the kinds of people who use all of our energy for today, secure in the hope that God has called us to be his people today and hope lives 
today. And that hope comes because Jesus Christ went to the cross and was dead, buried, and raised on the third day so that you and I could live as holy, free creatures who have been made in His image. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you that you have not abandoned us, that we live in light of hope for the future, which gives us hope today. Make us women and men who step fully into that hope, into that expression, glorifying you in all that you do, bearing fruit in your world. And we ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sisters and brothers, just as Pastor Wayne invited us into a pause before our message, I'm going to invite us into a pause after we've all had a chance to hear God's word from us through Pastor Sean. Let's take a moment to consider a word, a thought, or a feeling that was impressed upon you while listening to the sermon. And go ahead and put that word, thought, or feeling into the chat if you're joining us on Facebook or even sharing it with the people that you're with. Now we come to our time of communion. The table is set all around us. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him. It is the table of sharing with the poor of the world with whom Jesus identified himself. It is the table of communion with the earth in which Christ became incarnate. So come then to this table, you who have much faith and you who would like to have more, you who have been here often and you who have not been for a long time, you who have tried to follow Jesus and you who have failed, come. It is Christ who invites us to meet him here. Please join me. Loving God, through your goodness, we have this feast, which has come forth from the earth and human hands have made. May we know your presence in the sharing so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. We celebrate the life that Jesus has shared among his community through the centuries and shares with us now. Made one in Christ and one with each other, we offer these gifts and with them ourselves a single living act of praise. Ecclesia, whatever your table may contain, this is the body broken and given for you the blood of Christ shed for you. May we all taste and see.
Good morning, Ecclesia families. Now is the time in our service that I get to say a prayer of blessing over our children. Please join me. God, we know that kindness is powerful. We thank you for teaching us how to be kind. We ask that our kind acts would grow and spread as we continue to be kind. We pray that you would use our kindness to change the world. We love you, amen. Ecclesia, as we head into a week of such heightened emotion, receive as a benediction this reminder from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, which says that God reduces the rulers and judges, the rich and the powerful of the earth, to nothing. They scarcely are planted, take root, and start growing before God blows a withering breath and storm winds carry them away like chaff. The Holy One asks, do you really think you can find someone or something to compare to me, my equal? Look at the myriad of stars and constellations above you. Who set them to burning, each in place? Who knows those countless lights, each by name? They obediently shine, each in its place, because God has the great strength and strong power to make it so. And so Ecclesia, nothing that happens on Tuesday or the weeks ahead changes our call as God's people. To the poor and the marginalized, to the outcast and the hurting, we will continue to advocate for God's justice. We will continue to share God's love. And so may that promise, that promise that God's hope and love triumphs always over any human fear or anxiety, any doubt of God's strength and control. May that continue to guide us as his people today and always. Go and dwell in peace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.